and welcome back to Command Point. My name's Ryan, and today I've got my co-host with me, Shane. Shane, how's it going? It's going. You know, it's uh, we're, we just finished up the last tournament. A lot of stuff going on. It's uh, exciting. Very exciting times. Yeah, we just finished up the Worldwide Open, and our special guest for this episode is the winner of the Worldwide Open Kill Team Tournament, the well-known, well-renowned Bearnid 40K. Hey, guys. How's it going, my dude? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. I've been wanting to come on. I love your podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great to hear, especially from you. So um, how does it feel, man, to have won WWO? Like, this was, this was a pretty big tournament, and the stakes were probably the highest they've been for a tabletop simulator tournament, at least. Yeah, it feels uh, feels really good. I um, I I was putting you know a lot of prep in before the tournament started and stuff, and it just it went over a period of a couple months, so it was just like a lot to get through uh, to hit that end result, you know. So very happy to have have made it through. Yeah, those months of prep they definitely paid off for you. Nearly every game you had, it like wasn't even close. Um, yeah, so kudos to you for that. Thanks. I started with Tyranids in it, and every game wasn't close, but in the other way. Oh, <laughs> but, <yeah>. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made the right choice. Um, so I guess uh, the first question I have for you about your WWO run and kind of like your prep and everything is, well, why did you choose Tau? Because I mean, like, there's other factions that made it deep in this tournament. And I know that you were talking to Shane about telling Shane that he should run Novak Necrons because it's like, it's a tournament. Like mathematically people have the best chance of winning with Novak Necrons. So why did you take Tau? Uh, you know, the thing is, is that with Shane, he was looking at orcs um, or Necrons and was kind of like, I don't know which one to take. And I was just like, dude, I think, that um, Necrons don't have the O just that that um, uh, the Orc team has, and by O just I mean like the LD factor that just can take them out of the game, um, you know, on a dice roll or something. That didn't seem as like just reliable to me. You know, I, I was worried that he would go in and and do you know really well, and then some dice swing would happen or whatever, and it would just kind of take him out um, on some bullcrap or whatever to stay monetized. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I was looking at Tau and so I kind of have this thing when I'm really kind of taking a tournament seriously, I look through and I find a couple, there's like a couple steps. It's kind of like a flow chart. Is the pack wanting you to go positional or is the pack wanting you to go killy? To go positional, you have to be able to roll a bunch of dice, have none of them go your way and still be okay. So if you shoot a lot of shots and hit nothing, you're okay with that because you're winning on positional. Killy is like the opposite. You're pointing everything and stacking things as much as you can and you're you're going for killing you're recognizing the dice matter the dice have to happen um but you're mitigating you're reducing you're stacking so when it does go your way it does a lot of stuff it's just like this flow chart of decision making that kind of brings you through depending on what the pack wants so looking at nova it was a very positional pack and um that is something that drones do very well you know, through the flowchart as you go through the process, you're eliminating factions and possibilities. And it just came down to, for this, I felt that Tau was going to be one of the strongest. A uh, few things I want to talk about on that. Uh, first of all, that Shane guy sounds like a total dum-dum switching up his faction at the last minute. <laughs> Who would do that? 
Um, <laughs> second of all, I, you're talking about the strengths of Tau, which is really interesting to hear. Um, one thing I wanted to, to quickly touch on was for you as a player, what is it about Tau that, that you feel is receptive to, to your strengths? Because, I mean, we're talking about how obviously I was looking at orcs and, and jumping to Necrons being like a stronger team because, I mean, they're both kind of melee horde-ish teams in that format. Mm-hmm. But what is it about for you that that how why do you feel that Tau fits you as a player? There's a few things, and that's actually really interesting and good question um, because they have kind of emerged to be almost like what I feel like is my spirit animal team. Because um, here I was fighting with Tyranids to do what I would ended up doing with Tau. It was like they were the same kind of a thing, the same approach, but the Tau did Tyranids better than Tyranids would do. And what I was looking for, what I was getting from there, what supported kind of like my player personality and approach was a very um, chess-like type play, um, very positional, not reliant on the dice. And also an important thing that I don't think it's talked about enough with Tao is the ability to be bold. Like these guys, I, I think people try to play them like a gun line. And I think that unless there's, I mean, the board is very specifically allowing that that in general, that is incorrect. And in general, you should default to aggression. You should be moving forward, being aggressive. You know, um, you're hunting them uh, on the other side of the table. And uh, that is something that really speaks to me. You know, it's not a passive kind of a thing. It's like, nope, I'm going out and I'm taking it. Another thing that Tau do that's very strong is they have the ability to totally compress the other guy's score, which when I found out that this was going to be a... um, the final game was going to be what it was that kind of sealed Tau even further for me uh, because the final match was actually two games that counted as one game. Um, and, and so what they do is they take game one and game two, you count up all your points and whoever had the most points is in first place. Um, so that was important to me because Tau have the ability to just squeeze out and compress the other guy's score. And, and that is kind of terrifying. I feel like, you know, because it's like, not only are you going to go against them and take a loss, but if they're played in a certain way, you will ruin them in the, in the rankings ladder. Because, like, you're, you're not letting them get a point for, like, one to two rounds. And uh, so I really like that as well. Yeah, that's really interesting how you're talking about kind of, like, being aggressive and you're hunting your opponent on the other side of the table. And for a faction that has all these sort of defensive buffs, like the shield drones and their savior protocols and stuff like that, I find that to be, like, really surprising and almost against type. But I I guessed it worked out for you, man. Yeah, I think that Tau get marked, like I said, as, like, this gunline faction. And I think that they are happiest when you're playing them very aggressively. Like, I don't... I Like... One thing that I think is interesting about Tau that I'll say is um, a lot of people are afraid of melee. I'm not afraid of melee. I'm afraid of melee I didn't initiate. And it's like I'm, I'm in melee 100% of games. I'm charging 100% of games because I don't care how big or scary it is. A shield drone can lock it down, even if it's just for one turn. And that could be got for it or something, right? Which we knew was going to be a, a thing. And so why do I do this? Why is it important? It lets me engineer a favorable board state. You know, um, that if you look at like chess, for example, they do things like uh, if you're ahead, you try to get rid of the queens, you do an exchange to simplify the board state. And this is kind of fairly similar because like in this tournament, you saw moments like uh, where I sacrificed a gun drone, for example, to hold three gross melee Eldar units in place when I was playing against Tim Futter. 
Um, and that gun drone was totally doomed, but this is turn two. I've already killed a couple guys, and now those are his three consolidated melee guys that he has left. He only has like nine dudes left, and if I get in there and hold that, now he's only got six. You know? Yeah. Right. And no, so it's sim- yeah, it simplifies the board state. And now I, I don't have to worry about certain things. Uh, I can focus my threats where I want them to go. And then, like, instead of being forced to shoot, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's super interesting to think about, too, because, I mean, I, I was saying during the finals that you kind of were, and I mean, you've said this in the past, too, that you tend to play your your drones as, um, like, gaunts, almost. I was calling them shield gaunts. Yeah. Um, and when you think about it, especially with the post-elites meta, um, like the gaunt spam, those gaunts are never going to kill anything anyway. Kind of like how a shield drone isn't going to kill anything. But a shield drone is way more durable and way less likely to die. Mm-hmm. So in a way, and they can fly too. So it's like in a way, there's so many things that, that Tau seem to have over a faction like like Tyranids. And when there's a player like you that's playing them almost the same way, it just feels like a better version of that original list that kind of dominated the meta in the in the early days of the yeah, game. I agree 100%. Like I said, I think they do Tyranids better than Tyranids do. It's it's sad, but it's just like, man, you know, you, you get a seven-point shield drone in with Gotfrit, and that could be 20, 20 points just out of the game. Yeah. Um, we saw that, that like, he where he was after the vet move of that first game of the finals, he stayed there. Like, the rest of the game. Um, yeah, pretty and, much, yeah. Yep. It's like, once they get to... It's like a vice, kind of. Once I'm in, it's... You're very kind of controlled and, and things are steered and engineered in a certain way. Yeah. So you you talked about earlier about how you were compressing your opponent's points. So can you like describe how exactly you were doing that? Yeah. So um, little by little, you're just taking more and more and more. Um, so what I try to do is like uh, a lot of maps, for example, let's say you have two objectives in the back, one in the middle, and then they have two objectives in their back. So I'll start, you know, um, uh, holding my back to getting that center, just like I have it, you know? And then from there, next turn, I'm charging and locking things up and really engineering the state and rails have been killing a lot, basically. But after that, I'm moving up a lot of times one or both of those back objectives, if I'm allowed to, if the, the score isn't, you know, super close, if, if I can potentially risk giving them a hold too, I'm moving up off one of those to support the center and then moving what was left on the center to push out on their back objectives even further. So it, it's just like a wave of, of successive kind of like, here's phase one, here's phase two, uh, kind of going on where I'm trying to make it, like I said, to where they score nothing. I want a turn of like hold one and a turn of like hold none because they'll be getting secondaries no matter what I'm doing. Like maybe they want positional and I can't stop them. Um, but what really matters a lot is the primary. And that's something that I can control. I can be on the other side of the table, look at you and, and have an effect on what your score is with these, these drones. And uh, so that's, that's what's going on is I'm trying to squeeze and, and control that you're going to have nothing. So even if it was close originally by turn three, that's pretty much your limit. You're not scoring any more than that. And that's why I, I don't think we saw, uh, a game where the opponent scored more than like 12 
a lot of games it was like three points, five points, eight points, because it's just that's when I was able to get that in place. And after that, um, I'm it's like no, my drones don't have to kill you. You don't have to kill my or you know you have to kill my drones. So you're in the position to do or die, and uh, they're they're just on that objective. And even if I'm not holding it, I'm contesting it, and I've still got three. And you can also have hold more even if you only hold two. You can have mo hold more even if you only hold one. You just don't have hold two for that that third point. So there's that to look at too. You don't necessarily have to hold three objectives. I can be contesting every objective, hold one, and that's more. Hold one, hold more. And then if I'm contesting everything and I hold two, that's all three. Yeah, weirdly enough, I think that's actually a really good philosophy to keep in mind for playing like an elite team that I think a lot of people don't actually think about when they're playing on hold. Um, yeah. Like you'll, you'll have, once you have like the, let's say there's the objective closest to your deployment and then there's one between your deployment in the middle and then there's the middle and then it's mm -hmm. like mirrored on the other side. A lot of like elite players will like, they'll get control of the middle, but they'll still keep a guy back on that one. And it's like, mm -hmm. what are you doing that for? You don't need to do that. You can move yeah. them all up and then kind of like what you're describing, you just shut them out. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's super interesting. And I think it, it raises an interesting conversation, too, about the type of format that we play in. Um, and I've kind of talked to you about this a little bit, but I want to hear your thoughts on it here. Um, there's other teams like this in the past in different formats, kind of like Custodies that we've talked about, where in certain formats, Custodies, they may not be the highest scorers, but they can really make it hard for you to score. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Tau is like that in the, in the positional format. Do you think it's like almost... It's like an not an exploit. I don't want to call it an exploit, but like a, a weakness of like Swiss formats, where it's really about like building point scores, and that's how you get higher up on the on the rankings. Because you could run into like a Tau or right. a or a Custodes, where like in your games, I think even if your opponents won, they probably weren't going to win with that many points if they if they did manage to do it. Right, and that is definitely a thing. Um, you know, uh, as, as soon as you go to Swiss, you have to start thinking about like the future, you know, like uh, one of the recent podcast episodes I did, we talked about gambling. And basically I talked about that you stop when you're ahead. Like a lot of people keep going unnecessarily and they'll overcharge a plasma, even though they've already won that game. And then, oh no, he kills himself. And then, oh no, I'm at a break test. And then, oh no, double sixes. And, and then they're out on a gamble that didn't need to happen. As soon as you go to Swiss, that gamble is now worth a look um, because what happens this game affects the next game affects the next game. You know, it, it's like if you've already had a loss or something, now you should be pumping for maxes, like no matter what is going on um, and, and kind of playing at risk because you have to make that cut. And there's pros and cons to every format, but it is something to think about with Swiss for sure. I don't want to get uh, too stuck into the weeds with like your list building process for this tournament, but um, I did have a couple questions regarding it. Uh, okay. Why did you choose Sisea Sept over Tau Sept in a meta where we saw a lot of melee oriented like assault kill teams like Novak Necrons, Orcs, uh, Astra Militarum to uh, uh, to some sort of degree, where mm -hmm. like you know hit, hitting that Overwatch shot on five is like so good in my eyes first thing is is uh, in arena i was really looking at sasia um but then at the end of the day it came back to that this pack wasn't asking for kills what do you mean tau 
I mean, yeah, for Tau. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, I was looking <laughs> looking for Tau Sept, which is Overwatch. You hit on fives. Sorry, guys that are listening. I, I go off on tangents. But uh, so, you know, it, it really buffs your thing, your offense. But I felt like it was kind of unnecessary. And then there was that map. Um, it's not Catacombs. Armorium Stockpile. Where, because uh, I, I was doing some tests here, and I had a bunch of gun drones against orcs, and there was just so many blind charges, it was like I just wasn't getting Overwatch. And you know, like I said, this can be a long thing, but I, I made it to top four in Spain with drone spam. Um, there was a, a Spain tournament called Freak Wars that I played, and uh, this is what I mean when I tell people losses are a gift, and that a loss that you learn from is a win, because. Uh, in that tournament, I learned that Tau can have a lot of issues with leadership. Now, people look at Sasia and they think, oh yeah, re-rolling once. But to me, after that Spain comp, the value of Sasia was plus one LD. Um, you know, if all you have is LD6 on that board, you're expecting to fail that break test on the math. And sure enough, that happened to me in the final four game. Uh, and I had a perfectly healthy rail rifle shake afterwards immediately. So here's this perfectly fine guy. I'm ahead at this point. This game was one that now I'm just like in a lot of trouble, uh, you know, about. So it added insult to injury. And I went home basically and I said, how do I make sure this never happens again? And I found three components to tweak. First is no crew leader. Um, you know, to, to back up a tiny bit, a lot of people will do 10 drones and one crew at, at 100. Basically 10 drones, two rails, one crew. Uh, that's kind of, to me, it's like winning the battle, losing the war, because you're, again, you only have LD6. That's your highest. And as soon as you know to, you know, you have to take a break test, that's a fail that, that's going to happen. So it lets you have a 10th drone instead of that ninth pathy. But if you get rid of that crew, you have a pathy leader, you're at plus one LD. And the next solution was that Saucia set. Be Saucia set for plus one LD. Like I said, I value this more than the reroll and positional packs, because now I've got LD8 in the list just with these two changes. Um, it's exactly basically what I was doing, but I'm plus two leadership for where I would have been without it. And of course, that next adjustment was to drop the demo rail for a veteran rail because veterans don't shake. So I should, in theory, never have that situation happen again with the exact same list just by switching a couple things around. Um, so, but yes, yeah, Sasia, the main thing to me is a leadership. And that's why it was like after that comp, I'd it's going to be hard for me to do Tau without Sasia, especially in a more spammy thing. Yeah. It also felt like the the needing uh, good Overwatch kind of wasn't really part of your strategy anyway, just because of your use of drones, like, you know, like charging into your opponent's models rather than being charged in the first place. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's it's more of like I'm afraid of the charges I don't initiate, so I'm I'm trying to get there first you see the tragedy hopefully before it happens and engineer a state that is is beneficial to you so yeah i wasn't like trying to to focus too much on the overwatch because like i said in the arena part there was so much that you couldn't see and stuff like that um that's like i wasn't even getting to do overwatch anyway and uh yeah i mean it's just like icing on the cake the format is everything and in this format the kills didn't do anything for me i was going to be taking positional secondaries and stuff like that where i could uh you know so it was just kind of like just grind on that just be a specialist 
uh, and, and do it better than anybody else, I guess. Yeah. So Ryan, what you were just asking about was like kind of like the same uh, roster, but with Tausept. But I wanted to ask about something else that that you've done in the past and, and, and get your reason as to why you didn't go this direction. <laughs> Okay. Um, you uh, you played and granted it was it was the Fight Club tournament after TAO but still a, a tournament nonetheless. You played it was Borkan and it was pretty much Pathfinders and, yeah. and there was very few drones at all. It was like the the faded um, like no drone Tau that that nobody yeah. ever thought could happen. And you were playing pretty well with that, uh, but you ended up not going that direction. Um, so what about what about that? caused you to steer away and go back to the drones well uh it was just that that was a different packet i was just talking to utsugal about this today that i just i i love that list man that list was so fun it's just that that packet was hold one hold more kill one and man those 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 guys could kill uh they if it was they put something spammy down like i i made this whole roster and then i ended up just playing the same list every uh every game in that uh for all five of the games it ended up being five games of that tournament and it's just like, dude, this one list, like you take a spammy team and put it in front of these pathies and it's like, okay, here's just a bunch of shots hitting on fours at strength three. That's never long range because of Borkan and all this stuff. So it's like the worst they get is to minus, uh, minus one, you know, hitting on fives. And uh, that same team that's just obliterating like demons and things like that. If you put something big down on the board, Every one of those pathies has marker lights and marker lights I've looked at for a long time and tried to think, how do I make these work? You know, because everybody just says they suck. Um, but what I found is, is that um, a lot of people, when they think marker lights suck, they're looking at the marker light drones. And in that case, you are giving something up to take that marker light. You're, you're giving up, you know, uh, uh, two, two carbines or whatever on a drone to take a marker light instead here's this pathfinder he has both he has his carbine and he has a marker light so if something big's on the board he just lights him up whoop uh get some get some modifiers like if you even get two on there it's like you're re-rolling ones it's like you have saucia again for offense um and uh you are ignoring basically obscurity it, it's not ignoring it's plus one to hit so it's a little less you know good as as like the recon drone not as good uh because the recon will help in your injury roll as well but it was just like, dude, how? It's like I have a bunch of sub factions suddenly, and then the rails just just drop their shots and uh, wipe out that key target. So it wasn't that I didn't like it. Uh, um, it's just I didn't feel like this was the pack for it. Yeah, I mean those in Borcon with those assault two plus uh, pulse carbines, that was a cool thing to see. Um, I will never forget uh, watching a game that you played in the Fight Club where you were doing a Tau mirror match against, I don't know who the player was, but they were running a crisis suit and you were running this Borkan crazy Pathfinder list and you lit up the crisis suit with, with marker lights and then you blasted it turn one to death with rails that were all buffed by the marker lights. It was just crazy. And I still had a rail left over because I had three in that list to kill, that, to kill his leader turn one. It's just like, oh my God. So see, that is a very killy list. You know, you're holding one, and, and more with your bodies you have bodies everywhere um but you're also getting that kill one fairly reliably when you've got three rails and a bunch of shots and stuff on your your little pathies um but yeah you take like i said you take a pathfinder like any other faction would just love to have this thing it's almost unfortunate that pathfinders exist in the same team as drones because any other faction like marines tell a marine player okay guess what today you get a six point model 
that has two shots at strength five assault profile. Oh, and by the way, he can buff every other gun in your army. And he's only six points. They're just going to be like, what? He has a seven-inch base move, by the way. Yeah, you're just like, what? Oh, and if he's close enough to your guys, he starts giving them buffs to leadership. Um, it's just like, dude, these are such great, such great little models. I love them. And it was, it's cool because that was basically a one-box team. It was three drones and a bunch of, bunch of pathies. And, that, uh, yeah, yeah, that is true. That is really interesting to think about, that it is basically a one-box team that, that nobody ever really talked about because the drone hype was, yeah. was there. Um, anyway, I can talk about that team forever. So let's focus, I guess, on the uh, back back on track to the to the to the Sasea that that you pretty much ran this tournament with. Um, did you have any info on the list that I guess the roster that that won Nova last year? Which to mine, I mean, it was it was Tau as well at no. When I say last year, I mean last year's Nova. Um, it was Tao as well, and I believe it was Sasea. But beyond that, I'm not personally too familiar with how he ran that list, or mm-hmm. or, or what the nitty gritty of it was. And, and do you do you know anything as as far as how you played it differently? Yeah, um, there there's a few things because uh, I I'm uh, friends with Kill Team Academy Alex um, Alex Torbert, who was the second place, and so they ended up playing some uh, quite a few games and and all of that. He did do some things differently. Um, he, as far as I understand, he went mainly gun drones he doesn't value shields uh too highly he'll have a couple um but he doesn't value them you know quite the same way uh and uh a big thing about that was the boards at nova um a lot he ended up getting a lot of open boards because it was supposed to be one on open one on arena but the way it worked is you know we're on tts now we can do that even split. If we have a, a million players, we could have that many boards. But in a real life tournament, there's the pressures of, uh-oh, we only have so many of this, so many of that. So it ended up working that he was, in quite a few games from what I understand, getting to deploy on a piece of terrain that was multi-story high. And then, um, so he put his rails up there, put some drones up so nobody could make contact and just blow them off the board uh, quite a bit. And, and that's a super valid thing. You know, because you look at like orcs that final match. What do they got to do? They got to come to you uh, to do their offense. So I think that that's he was doing something very similar. But he had it was basically the two drones, crew leader, or I'm sorry, ten drones, crew leader, two rails. Um, whereas I was going uh, nine drones, pathy for the arena, who is my comms, and then two drones, that veteran that I talked about that is a came from Spain. Uh, and then the, the sniper, and then my pathy leader. So that gave me four guys to open doors, um, which which was always enough in every game, thankfully. But, you know, funny funny little anecdote on that. Um, I was sending a picture to my friend about my drone spam list. I thought I created it, and that very day is the Nova stuff. I'm like, man, I wish I could go. This, this drone spam dude is going to do so good. Uh, what do I see? I see Eric's. <laughs> Eric's roster, just like no, yeah. somebody thought of it too. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I've been on this treat, you know, this train of thought for a long time, uh, and finally got to do it. Yes. Yeah, I remember after Nova, that was like, that really reverberated through the whole competitive community was drones 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 it was like everyone hated tau all of a sudden drones were public enemy number one 
and then LVO happened and we were moving to kill hold and the prevailing thought was, oh, Tom aren't going to be as good on kill hold. And then nobody took them to LVO. So yeah, I don't know. One person did. One person did. Yeah, it was like a they new player. Well, though, yeah. Um, do you think on that topic? Do you think that Tau would have would have been dominant if they were actually played at uh, at that tournament? Yeah, Tau just have so much tools. You know, um, I think it might have looked different. Um, but rails are great against T four. They're great against T three. You know, they're they're just very killy. So you get, you know, three of those. Because LVO is a hold kill pack. So that's kind of where my mind goes. Um, hold and kill to me is almost like just kill and don't get killed. Like, because you can very easily max off of off of just standing on one objective shooting people. Um, so, yeah, I think that they could have could have done all right there. You have the fusion stealth suit. You have crisis suits that might not be great in every match. But it's like, dude, they can just drop in and dunk on a, a Marine's play or something. Uh Marine player, but no worries. So yes, I think that they could have done all right. I just think that um, it's weird because that's the only tournament where something did really well, and we didn't see a whole bunch of them immediately after at the, at the next tournament in line. Because usually that's how it goes. It's like something does well, like like uh, last tournament we saw Micromancer do all right with Blackstone Guard, um, and then this tournament. I think in top eight, there was three or four running basically the same list. So one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, uh, looking like in your prep for the tournament, um, once you had decided on Tau, obviously for a lot of people, um, Militarum and Necrons were kind of the big scaries going into this into this event. Was there anything you were worried about having to play against specifically with your faction? Um, you know, one of the things, the thing that worried me is that um, the tailoring that I was able to do was only to the boards. Like, I didn't get to sit there and tailor to an opponent. Um, I needed to go so hard with gun drones, so hard with shield drones, uh, because of the map layout, that, like, I had no flex. I didn't have the demo rail. I didn't have the, uh, the what's it called, the grab and hip drone, things like that. I didn't have even the option for a third rail, because those slots went to just, like, nope, I need these exact drones. Um, so the map and the secondaries kind of were what scared me. Um, the main faction that I worry about is Tau is, um, Harlequins because oh, okay. like I said, I'm trying to dictate where and how melee happens and they just do that better than me. And all of a sudden it's, it's almost like it's, it's very, I think analogous to, or analogous, I don't know how you'd pronounce that to like a Marine player that's trying to go positional against gaunt spam. It's just like, well, you know. You got to stack some kill secondaries or something on there because they might do that better than you. Odds are. Yeah. Uh, so funny yeah, thought, actually, yeah. I had a funny thought. We were just talking kind of about how Tau kind of do the gaunt spam thing better than than Tyranids. Um, weirdly enough, thinking about what you're saying about about Harlequins, I almost feel like that Tyranid gaunt spam would kind of do okay against yeah. Tau in some ways. Funny enough, just because they really are good at dictating the pace of of where and when combat happens. Yep. And they're going to have more bodies. So if it's a com if it's a contest of like stand here better than you and nobody kills each other and they've got 5 to my 3, they win that. Mhm. Mm you know. And this is kind of perfect for the meta then what what you're doing with Tau because people 
stopped playing hordes, like pure hordes like that, because they just couldn't beat Tyranids. And so they moved on to things that would beat that Tyranid team. And so that Tyranid team is no longer in the meta, really. So once again, you can have a team with less bodies, but still kind of doing the same thing like Tau. And they just seem unstoppable. So it's really interesting how the meta can shift from event to event like that. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because like Tyranids, a lot of times I'll just wreck Harlequins. So it's funny because it's like the exact same play style, but, um, you know, the thing that I feel like does the positional better, the thing that that's afraid of is no problem usually for this other other thing. So it, it's really, yeah, like you said, it's interesting how things get shift like that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I like about competitive kill team is the just like the variety of packets makes different factions shine on uh, at different tournaments, basically. Yeah, and we've looked at, you know, so many different formats and, um, you know, hold one, hold more, kill one, kill more. And there's hold one, hold more, kill one. And then there's hold, hold, hold. And different secondary formats. And there's arena and there's open. Um, and in this, you just, you see certain things. There's going to be something that does that better. And it's really interesting to see people call for nerfs after one of those because like look at tyranids they haven't been played in a long time really um the last person that ran them that did okay with them was sean from your podcast uh who took a top eight with them uh with big bugs and it's kind of like people were calling for that team to be nerfed and here we are that same team being kind of viewed as non-viable for a couple packs now uh yeah it's just like it's a really interesting thing because they'll they'll be so good that people want them out of the game in, in one format, and then you switch to something else. You just change the win condition slightly, and it becomes like a non-starter for people. Just interesting how that happens. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, in a, in a format where you can get away with, I think, the super killy, like where you can play an elite team, I think that the drone spam isn't quite as effective as, as it was here in WWO. Um, but what is interesting is that Tau in their, in that faction, they have the answers in my opinion to, to kind of jump from format to format. And sometimes it means a totally different play style, but that's really interesting to me. And that, that to me says that this is a, this is a pretty well-made faction, and, and and they're a deep faction. It's not like, like a, almost weird to say, but like um like an Asuriani, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're kind of played the same way everywhere. Like you're right. not going to drastically change. I think there's certain things that haven't really been discovered, not discovered, but like really tried at like higher points levels. But for the most part, Asuriani is Asuriani wherever you play them, whatever format you're in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're completely right, because like, uh, you know, with Nova, Classic Arena, Annihilation, it would be a drone spam roster for me, most likely. And it's just going to decide on whether you're leaning more towards shields or guns, or both, depending on if it's Arena or Open or a mix. But as soon as you jump to Ibericon, I'm looking at like that pathy spam again. You know, um, something to that effect. Uh, the rail, like I said, always lets you flex. It's great versus T3 Squish. It's great against T4 Beef. Um and the Pathfinders on an open board are really great because they can, like I said, piss shots versus spam or just buff the rails of the stratosphere. But drone spam could still be best there. 
you know, it's just that like, look at drone spam versus how I, you know, how I ran it here with two rails. If I was doing that and hold and kill, um, all of a sudden three is mandatory. And that's even with just one kill primary. All of a sudden I'd be dropping drones to get that extra, extra, extra rail rifle in there. Um, and then like, okay, so that's even with just hold, hold one, hold more, kill one, Ibericon. Now let's say you go to hold one, hold more, kill one, kill more. And that I would either probably just play Necrons or Marines because they're just going to do that better. Or it's like now you start to look at, uh-oh, there's a Crisis Suits. There's that Fusion Pathy. I mean, a Fusion Stealth Suit. There's your three rails. Like what is just going to wreck? Because like I said, I almost feel that that format is just kill. It says hold and kill, but it's almost just kill. Kill and be hard to kill. I mean, even the Ibericon primary, when you think about it, it's not just adding one kill primary and that's like a small pendulum swing. It's getting rid of hold two and adding a kill primary. So it's really, it's like multiple things shifting Mm -hmm. one way. Yep. And so that's, that's it. Like the packet, the win condition will dictate heavily how Tau is playing. And, And like you said, it is interesting because Eldar don't really have to do that. They've got decent number of bodies so they're able to hold they're pretty killy so they're able to do that if there's a, a thing like ibericon i almost felt for a while there <clears throat> in, a, in a lot of your games you weren't even necessarily going for kill even though it was hold one hold more kill one you were trying to spam injury rolls because um whether they took a flesh wound or a out of action i was okay with that with a lot of the different matchups you know people were looking at demons and stuff uh quite a bit there like i was, I was prepping with matt on that one uh and and that's something that eldar can do too that's it's funny because i almost played eldar with um that was just guardian defender spam i just wanted all guardian defenders and then that exarch the dire avenger because that thing can dish out time yeah Yeah, do do flesh wounds re-rolling ones and you're just like just roll dice roll dice yeah i actually uh i almost played something like that I kind of played something like that at like I think it was like the Kill Team League like one like forever ago, and I had that list basically on my roster, but I also had like it was Bealton the whole way through, but I also had like you know the Exarchs and stuff like the Scorpion or whatever, mm-hmm. and the intent was I was going to run what you're talking about, but I just ended up going with like the melee guys every time and like the yeah. Wraith Guard because it just fit my playstyle more, for sure. But, I've thought about that, and it, it is interesting. Like the the leadership buff, the rerolling ones. It's it's like Sasia, right? In a way. Yep. And again, it's just a bunch of shots and a lot of bodies. So very similar to drone spam. Yeah. Yeah, yep. for sure. It's just like you're, dude. It's so different being able to advance and shoot with no penalty, and you're hitting on threes, rerolling ones instead of fives, rerolling ones. Base, mm-hmm. you know. And then you got that AP. Sixes upside yeah oh yeah i hit a six oh ap ap3 whatever <laughs> like oh my god it's so good and then this dude's got two so he's splitting shots you know he's got an invuln so again you're kind of shield droning you're just charging nope you shall not pass just hold clamp him down it's so cool man i yeah wish people would explore that more because uh i think that there's a lot to eldar that hasn't been touched on yet it's a lot of oh, melee upside I, yep. I agree in in a different direction. I don't want to go down an Eldar tangent, though. Yeah. Um, no. yep. <laughs> but I do think there are things that haven't been explored with Eldar. Um, and, I mean, you could say that about so many teams in this game. Um, Tau being one of the big ones, in my opinion. 
just like the stuff that you've done in the past six months with Tao, it's like not just the Sasea stuff. Because obviously, even what you did here, there was tiny things, but it, it was kind of like what, what I saw from you that was different was not the build itself so much as the, the way you played it and the play style. Mm-hmm. Um, but like looking back at the Borkan stuff, and I mean, you've played around with Crisis Suits. There's a lot to do with Tau that people haven't really gone too deep into. Yeah. Yeah, like nobody runs Breachers yet. Yet? Yeah. <laughs> yet. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I don't know. It's it's just like it's, a, it's, it's as accomplished as this team is, you know, it's got this pedigree of like tourney wins and stuff. It's still got units that have just never been played. And that's yeah. just interesting to me. I mean, Necrons have that too with the death marks. So for sure, <laughs> a lot, yeah. a lot of, a lot of teams have units that are. I don't even want to say they're underexplored, but it's like you look at them and it's like, like just at face value, it's like you're not even you're not even interested in giving them their due diligence. Hey, yeah. I, I will say that I back in TAO. I thought there was something there with death marks. It was just hard to do at you 100 did. points. Yeah, yeah, it was the it was like whatever. We're getting off on a tangent. I'm about to start talking about death marks. Yeah. Well, about... you were limited by the points. <laughs> it was only 100 points, so you couldn't, you know, swing it to be its final form. Yeah. Basically. I mean, hey, look at what we loved so much about the mandrakes, where you've got three of them deep striking in and having these AP one six AP one shots that have mortal wound potential. Death marks can do the same thing if you're Mefret. You jump in, AP one six shots, mortal wound potential. Yuck. Yep. Okay. And they're more durable. Well, now that we've put yeah. that out into the universe. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Shane. Sorry, I, guess. I already blame you for Blackstone Guard being like the <laughs> premier team for two tournaments now. Uh, I had already told you, Shane, no more list building. Yeah, no more. <laughs> don't check the Patreon, guys. Don't check. Whatever you There's do, nothing oh, there. whatever you do, don't check the Patreon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leave it to me. I'll be the I'll be the one in there <laughs> looking for those secrets, those gems, the secrets. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I guess beyond uh, WWO, Ryan, did you you wanted to talk about some other stuff after WWO, or I guess before WWO? Um, yeah. Go go ahead on that, and I'll. Um. So, Bearnid, you said that like Tau have kind of become like your spirit animal faction. Um. What are some other factions that you've had like tournament success with in the past? Uh, I really like Tyranids and Gene Stealer cults, and for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I, I just I like them because I like them. Yeah, but, but um, learning the game with those was very punishing. The upside was is that I was rewarded with knowing how to do melee, um, so that now when I go to shooting, I know what they're trying to accomplish, and I can kind of play that game still. But Tyranids and uh, Tyranids, I took top eight of LVO with uh, the first year uh, and very badly the next year uh, because it went from hold, hold, hold to hold and kill 21 point cap. So the format swung wildly and I kind of told myself, no, I'm a Tyranid player. I'm going to take him and I'm going to force him to do good. And uh, that didn't happen. Uh, but I did, I did do the top eight with them and, and finish pretty well in ITC. I was number one for a minute. Um, but with like the win from, no, I think, I think it was Miguel ended up taking number one the first year because of his win from LVO. That's what it was. So yeah, there was that. And, uh, Gene Steeler Colts again, um, 
just one day you see a packet, you see a ruling. Uh, what it was was SoCal Open. Uh, day one was um, because these were these were each tournament was each day was a different tournament basically. Um, day one was all arena, and they ruled that Colt Ambush for the first time could open doors because we we were like, what? You know, is this possible? We had no FAQ from GW, no anything, and so it was the question was, does this count as a normal move? Um, and so we got a ruling that it was. Uh, okay to open doors for that. It was just like, oh man, there's nothing anybody can do to stop this. So I went with that. And uh, it's funny because I prepped for that tournament for three months with Marines. And uh, last minute I saw that ruling and switched to Colts. And I just happened to have the models and, uh, you know, ran them there. But that was really cool because it's like you can Colt ambush, pop a door, you know, advance move up, uh, you know, with a veteran move. And then use your normal advance or something to be at a door blocking it. And then you have the entire board uh, to yourself. So that was very cheesy, very jank type thing. And it just, it's, it's the packet that allowed it. Um, they do okay. And hold, hold, hold. If it's not hold, 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 I can't really run them too, too well. They're just so squishy. Um, I, I've seen other people do it, but it's just like for myself, I can't like fit my brain around making them work. Um, so there was that. Oh, and then Astartes. Um, I've won like RTTs and, and stuff like that with Astartes. And, and there was enough of a grind on that to uh, have me, I think I might have finished 2020 last year as number one with Astartes um, and for the ITC. Uh, but, you know, there's there's a black cloud on that because of the whole COVID closures. Um, but yeah, I, I just went a BAO prep with them right before lockdown. Um, and that's, that was interesting thing. We can actually talk a little bit about something with that because taking a break, you know, getting off, off of topic a little bit, but taking a break, man, uh, for a couple months and then coming back to TTS in quarantine, I couldn't win a game. It was so weird because it's like, dude, I just won a tournament with these guys. Now I can't win a game. Uh, it was really, really weird. But, uh, that I had to get over that hurdle, did that with them. But those are kind of like my things. Gene Steeler Colts, Terranids, Tau, Space Marines. Yeah. I think that... Didn't, didn't you also win an RTT like a while ago with Deathwatch? Oh, yes, I did. That's right. Uh, yes, that was a BAO prep um, for not not the year that I was just talking about, but mm-hmm. the year before. Uh, that, that was a thing. I have a gold medal from that. Yep. Um, nice with those guys. Nice. And I won a RTT with demons or no, I took a second, second place with demons, but I had more, I had the most points in that, uh, in that tournament. It's just, uh, yeah, I had taken a loss and there wasn't enough time, um, uh, before the store closed or whatever to do a final match. And it was funny because Udsickle had taken first and I took second. Udsickle had gray knights. I had demons. How cool would that final have been? Oh man, that would have been awesome. Yeah. That was Almost. right when demons came out. Yeah, that was that was the thing. I knew pink horrors were going to be a problem in hold formats. Yeah. So um, this is this is kind of greedy of me, but I feel like you owe it to me because uh, you're kind of the guy responsible for me starting off kill team with a uh, freaking death watch. OK, uh, how do you <laughs> how do you <laughs> feel about uh, death watch in the Zenith packet? How do you think they'll fare? I think they could do well. I mean, uh, Shane. You were doing like a 20 model list in one of our prep things. Uh, and I was doing, um, 
I was doing Death Watch Cold, like not having not run them in, in a long time. And I think that game was only like one point away, right? Like, of course, you still win it. You're Shane and you're running an amazing list and, and stuff like that. Um, but to see it have been so close was uh, it gave me hope. The, I'm trying the... to think about what that was because I. We yeah, definitely... it was Geller Fox and Arena. Geller Fox versus <laughs> it, was, it was Geller Fox. Of course it was. I forgot all about that game. Yeah. Yeah, dude. But that was that was a really cool game because the the free choice secondaries and the variety of the free choice secondaries that are in in Zenith let the elite team do those stacks that are needed. And uh, so they like a lot of people don't realize if you only hold two every round, you're only one point away from max, you know, on the on the primary. So you don't need more ever to be okay. If you're maxed on secondaries, then you're only one point away from max total. You're at 17 points for that game. Um, so that's a thing. And, you know, if you can somehow get hold more once, now you're maxed. So, like, when I play Death Watch, I don't feel a lot of pressure like I do with, with other teams. Um, it's almost like a, a different experience. It's calmer. And I guess Marines in general are like that. Um, because Marines, I'm, like, hitting hard, and then I'm pulling back. I get a giant lead, seven points in turn one, seven to one, and then I'm just like, nope, and I hide. And, and then it's like, do your best, and I'm just not giving them the opportunities and stuff. But Death Watch can definitely uh, do okay in Zenith, I think. I think that they were possibly better for Nova than, than, uh, than the Marines were. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, Marines... I think that's fair, because Death Watch, they get a lot more at 100 points. Mm-hmm. Than uh, than Marines, I think, like realistically, list building wise. Yeah, just looking at the meta, thinking about what was going to be there, and the fact that it was a hundred points. Um, what their death tactic does, because both factions have a on death proc tactic. You know, theirs is cheaper. Um, theirs instantly does offense. So, like against Tau or something, if you drop in. You know, there's like the understrength thing or whatever that, that I will harp on forever. But you drop in and drop 2d6 auto hits with a frag or you use a vet move, get way over, drop 2d6 auto hits on a, you know, with a frag onto um, some pathies. You put a really hard choice on them. It's like, do I save this pathfinder? You know, I have to decide before I've seen all the wound rolls that are going to happen, um, you know, all this stuff. And, and so it's like they could lose all of their offense they can lose their ability to hold more or they could lose a big chunk of both. And that's just not a easy situation. And Marines really like to force those, those big, bold, what you going to do about it kind of, kind of things. Uh, so death watch can do that. I love them. I still think they're great. Love my death watch. Death watch are definitely, uh, they're an enigma. I don't even, I really can't wrap my head around Deathwatch as a faction. I, I do think in general Marines like 125 more. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the Astartes, they just, I feel like they're always like one model away at mm-hmm. 100 points. And it's, it's, you miss out on so much. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, guess. No, Death, Deathwatch are weird because they're almost like Marines with a psychic base. If you can put one CP into um, Hellfire shells, it's almost like you have a cyborg. Yeah. So you're kind of Marines, you're kind of Grey Knights. You're somewhere in the middle, and you, you just 
like they have some of the most efficiency in the game when it comes to kill. Like, okay, just just did it hit? I'm hitting on twos, rerolling ones. Did it hit? D3 mortals, no save. You know, and then like, okay, here's this guy. I need to clear this objective. 2d6 auto hits. Just like, that's so efficient. Auto hits. 2d6. And and you can really use that, man. You can you can pop up and just like advance up. And you're, you're threatening models that you see, but you're also looking at an objective and, and things are placed well. So there's like nobody to get you from outside of, of uh, range with like a long bomb charge. And that just asks the opponent a question of like, what are you going to do? Uh, you can charge and eat 2d6 auto hits. You can um, move to that objective and I'm going to shoot you anyway. You can, you know, move to do something else, but now it's like you're abandoning this objective and I'm going to shoot them off that objective. It's just like, man, if you got a CP and a frag cannon, you're scary. Yeah, your video about the Hellfire shell made probably like two years ago or whatever. That was the one that made me want to buy two Death Watch Kill Team boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's good to hear. That's good to hear that that uh, that both of you guys think that they'll that they'll be good and they can compete in the Zenith packet. And that's that's something that I really like about the packet is that it's it feels like nearly every faction has a chance. Yeah. Death Watch just lost a little luster because like the sub factions didn't give them so much. And then the thing that made them stand out to me in the beginning was the storm shields because Astartes just had a clear counter with plasma. And that's what my main practice partner at the time was playing was Tau and plasma spam admec. It's like, Oh, my entire team is a sniper spec, basically rerolling ones. Um, and Death Watch just had an answer to that. Uh, and now that Marines have it, they lost a little bit of luster. People have kind of went off and done their own thing, you know, but uh, I, I think that the the stuff that's coming, like all the different Primaris and whatnot, I think that they're going to get access to them because they have them in, in big 40k. And then it's just like, oh, my God, you put like uh, there's that new model that's coming in Pariah Nexus. I don't know how many points he'll be, but he's like tough five with three wounds and he's got this crazy gun. And now it's like, OK, I'm going to put special issue ammo on that i'm gonna wound you on twos or whatever it happens to be damn yeah i actually think at 125 you could do a really interesting build with around the special issue ammo where it's kind of focused for death watch on like the bolt guns and and getting your melee output quote unquote from just the two attacks that the veterans get yeah yeah especially against t3 right Oh yeah, that that's my that's my thought process. And then you probably yeah. still have room on the rest of the roster to have like the big frag cannons and you know the Infernus engine and all that stuff if you're up against the the tougher stuff. If they're running something spammy, if it's a single data sheet, like that's the thing that gave me a hard time with the Geller Pox was there's so many data sheets that um, it really minimizes the Death Watch's sub faction, which is you pick a data sheet and you reroll once to wound against that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So having like seven data sheets on the board, it's just like, well, okay, there goes that. But if something's running gaunt spam, and, and yes, you've only got your two attacks or whatever, but you're wounding on threes, rerolling ones, that's pretty good. And yeah. you'll have good shooting and stuff, you know. With the special yeah, mission. I mean, think of back on that game now. Now that I'm remembering it, um, I mean, Geller Poxes, they're just awesome, man. I think a lesser horde would have lost that game because a lot, like other hordes, they don't have like an LD8 four-point model that you can spam. Yeah. They don't punish you for, for hurting them with like, here's a mortal. You know, Marines don't appreciate mortal wounds. They're just, yeah. A bunch of one-wound dudes are not grateful to 
instantly be like, oh, okay, you get through all this stuff I paid for. Roll, roll some, in, uh, some injury. Yeah, when <laughs> Green Knights got their, um, got their buff to Psychic out of Elites, for yeah. me, I looked at I looked at Death Watch and I was like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think this is the faction to be playing anymore. Uh, yeah, man, that was I. I was there, but with my Space Wolves, it's just like nobody mm-hmm. was running them for a minute. And my space wolves are doing really well. I was all happy with them. And then Grey Knights started showing up. Eric picked them up. And Coincidentally, stuff. same exact boat. I took second in a tournament and I wound up losing to, I lost the final game to a Grey Knights player and I was also running space wolves. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 I feel your pain, battle brother. Yeah. Oh man, Space Wolves are sick with their company veterans taking jump packs. It's like you can have a jump pack, a flamer, and a chainsword that hits on twos. It's like, God, so good. Yeah, and speaking of the throwback stuff, when I first bought my orcs, uh, your orc video was the first thing I ever looked up. Um, I think, Ryan, you showed it to me because I bought the orcs and I was like, what am I doing with these guys? I don't know anything. I don't even play 40K. And you showed me that video. And uh, yeah, I don't remember much about it now but i remember watching it like five times at least yeah a lot of that is my friend sevon's fault because he he ran orcs occasionally he had a big like third ed or fourth ed collection that he would just bring out and uh yeah there was some some gross stuff there i just remember like we had this debate for a long time because he just could not um wrap his mind around the grot leader you know, that, that, that's a thing that all orc players battle with emotionally. They're just like, I guess this guy giving the orders, like what? This little renty weedy little, little thing. He's literally not the biggest or the strongest. <laughs> what are you doing? Absolutely. Well, maybe yeah. he's the most cunning. There you go. You know, you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> I just remember telling him that the fluff I was like, okay, I got the fluff for you. Are you ready? The other guys think they're in charge, right? The big boss, your, your combat spec or whatever, your veteran, he thinks he's in charge. But at night when he sleeps, the grot walks over, creeps up to his ear and whispers the plans in his <laughs> ear. And then the guy wakes up like, right, boys, this is what we're doing, you know, and <laughs> goes and crumps. And uh, so that, that, I think, is what uh, flipped him and, and made him able to do it finally. Yeah, I mean, as an orc player, I've thought about it a lot myself. So, yeah, <laughs> always, always trying to come up with excuses as to why the Grod is is in that position. Yep, and he's hiding too. He's not even like brave Grot. Yeah, no, he's cowarding in the corner. <laughs> it would be different if he was like last uh, today on Instagram. He posted a picture of like a, a new orc kill team that he had painted up, and. Um, his leader model is a grot, but it's got uh, like this big standard. Oh, cool. This big standard on it. I think it's the one that you get with um, uh, Gazgul. Oh, um, glass. Be careful, man. Yeah. It's defeating the point of taking the, the little guy, you know, and hiding him in the back. It's giving oh, yeah. No, no, no. The, in the caption, Baronet, he said, I will absolutely not be counting the banner as a part of the model for... <laughs> for LOS, for, right? For Yeah, for LOS. Thank God. Yeah, because that's the whole point, is uh, is him just being back there safe for three points, and that's your CP farm. Yeah, you know, warning, though, to the, all the Orc players on um, 
on Zenith or wherever. Um, I recently played against Tau, and the Tau player had that stupid turret where you can shoot anything on sixes as long as it's a six, and you don't have to see it. And that is just like you're begging to get shot by that thing if you take the Grot Leader. Yeah. Because it's like or, it gets uh, one through, and it's wounding on a two, and it's like, oh. Yeah, airbursting frag projectors can do that too. They're just yeah. like, oh, I can't see you, but I can shoot you. And uh, it's going to hurt. Here's a bunch of strength five. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's painful. Just be careful with those grout leaders. Uh, keep a yeah. keep a knob leader on the on the roster. Yeah. Keep them in reserves. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> you don't get the CP. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I meant uh, that, that's a good point. I, I was meaning reserves of, the, uh, of your roster, but yes. That is a thing. I did just accidentally tell people, put your leader in reserve. <laughs> good good yeah. call there. Yeah, only have one CP. Good catch, Ryan. So uh, uh, moving on, we're getting way off topic. Not complaining, it's just happening. Um, I want to look forward to, uh, to Zenith um, without, obviously, I don't know how much you even have in the tank right now, like as far as plans go. Um, but you have obviously qualified for Zenith being the, the winner of, of the Worldwide Open. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. I know that was something that was that was on your mind. Yes, um, it was. Do you do you have anything in mind? Are you looking at the Tau still? What like are there a lot of things that you're you're balancing, or, or what's going on there? I think the thing about that that is there's a couple things that are making me look at Tau. The first is um, the hold still. The the concern is that there's secondary stacks for the Killy teams. So it's like I won't get away with. The, the abuse that I did this this tournament. Um, so that's a thing. But there is the fact that this would be like the fifth consecutive tournament that I've run Tau in a row. And um, there's just something burned out. No, there's it's kind of like the opposite. Like there's something to be said about locking into a team. You know, I don't recommend this at first, really. At first, I would say play Necrons. And that's going to teach you your Marines better than than you're playing your Marines will. Um as odd as that sounds, we've, we've talked about this before, um, but you know, after that step, once you've got your fundamentals and, and you've got a team that's pretty versatile, your Eldar or something like that, your Tau, it's like, dude, it's hard to give that up. It really is because they're so good. They're so good. Um, so I might do Tau again. I don't know. Although I was uh, undefeated in my prep games with Tyranids for a minute there. Um, or Nova for the WWO Nova, and but that was arena. I was practicing straight arena at first, and then I'm like, okay, let's start trying some open board. And it's just like there was just no protecting that warrior. Um, and so uh, that's gone now. The broken open board is gone, and that's what the problem for the Tyranids was for me in the last pack. So it's kind of like, dude. I wonder about Tyranids. And again, in my prep games, I'm undefeated with the Tyranids in the Zenith arena. So it's just like, damn. Uh, so that's, and, and that's the thing is, is like I talked about with LVO, they just call me, you know, that's, that's, it's in me. That's why I'm Beerinid because it rhymes with Tyranid. Um, they're just, they're kind of like my team. And yeah, I was gonna I'm, say it feels like every tournament there's like a period in the very beginning 
where you try to make Tyranids work. And it absolutely and I, is. And I do the same thing with my orcs, so I know exactly what. Yeah, and it's funny. About. It's funny because it's like, look what I ended up doing with WWO. Like you said, it was like playing them like Tyranids. You know, like oh, I got these couple guns, and then the rest are just moving up the board, positional, holding, locking, charging, doing their thing. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's something I'm thinking about. We'll see. But I'll tell you right now, if it is Tyranids, it's probably going to be spam. Because that's what I've been doing okay with so far. Yeah. yeah. My, I, I really like my, I call it the 723 list. It's seven models, 23 wounds. Um, that's like a bunch of Raveners and Lictors and stuff. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's just that, like, man, it really hurts to leave one of those back on an objective. You know, that's a lot of points like 15 to 25 points just popped in place um so i would have to ditch them to bring gaunts just for objectives and at that point kind of like why am i not just doing gaunts because i've already now taken out a big kill potential you know for my stacks and things if that goes wrong if they rail rifle me or plasma me or something off the board to get some lucky flamer shots then it's like what i'm i'm doing gaunt spam quote unquote with five models uh that's just not going to work so, yeah, I think that it would have to be gaunt spam. And the issue is, is that step three of my qualification or step three of my flow chart for what to play in a tournament when I'm really caring, which I should, this is an invitational and stuff like that, is qualification. You've, you've taken a bunch of things and you've thrown them out and you've distilled it down to where there's a handful of things that do the job. And now you're trying to find what does it better. And so if I'm going hold, does Tau do that better? Hmm. Hard to say, huh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like I might just have to go Tau. And how much of it is how how much is one twenty five factoring in? Are you seeing one twenty five and thinking I can do more now? Or or are you just kind of looking at it from the format lens? What's what's that like? Um it's weird because Tyranid's almost like one hundred more and Tau like one twenty five more, I think. Mm-hmm. Because now I've got my third rail and, and the stuff that I had to ditch before, I don't need all of the drone specialization and, and stuff because of the the board and everything. It's, it's a more stable kind of a format. WWO was open, arena, open, arena. This is arena, arena, arena. Um, so, yes, it is factoring in. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably going to be another strike against Tyranids. Though they do really like having a couple Raveners. Like if you did Gaunt spam, but you drop two Gaunts and take two Raveners basically and cut some points on your warrior. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, that is a pretty nice list because of the movement. Like what I've been doing with the Tyranids is um, I, I, my, my Raveners are basically throwaways. People see them and they're big and scary, but it's like you get in there and wherever those Raveners make contact, whether it's you charging me, me charging you, them having an advance that ends there, now they get shot, that's pretty much where your models are going to stay. Because the, the Gaunts are moving up behind them in that first turn, and now they're taking long bombs and stuff to keep you locked. So it, it is really effective to have a couple three-wound dudes that are super fast uh, for fairly good good price or whatever in that list and and have them replacing gaunts basically 
because you can still get to quite a lot of, of bodies in there. It's like 19 bodies. You can still get to 20 if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, yeah. Another thing I've thought about is um, instead of warriors, what if you just like, because you can get LD9 from gene stealers. And so that's an interesting thing too. Take like six stealers and a bunch of gaunts or something like that. So I don't know. My mind's always like looking for weird approaches. And I think that is something that does well for people. Like it's asymmetrical. Like if people don't expect, like people don't expect you to charge them with your rail rifle just to lock you in place. So they, there's too many dirty tricks to have an answer to every single thing when you, when you're coming in asymmetrically, like there's too many uh, opportunities that the person has never experienced before and has no like frame of reference to, to stumble into. And, and at the, at, you know, higher levels and stuff in competition, that edge can be enough. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, there, I mean, I think there's just so much that changes from, it feels like every few months too, we're playing a different game, right? But we're, we're playing the same game and it's, it's not even getting changed by GW. It's like, we're doing this to our own game. And it, I mean, it's a rapidly changing environment too. So it's, uh, it takes a lot to consistently be placing well. And I mean, you've been doing it for, for two years now. So, I mean, that's impressive in its own right. Um, is there any format, I guess, going back that, do, how much of it is tied to you as a player and, and how much of it is tied to just, you know, looking at it, performances as isolated things? Like, do you feel like you don't like hold, 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 or you really like uh, kill, hold, or vice versa? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, with hold, 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 uh, it's it's funny because like I was one of the people that wanted to move away from it for a little bit, but the issue was secondary format. After a lot of thoughts and trying other things and whatnot, it comes back to secondary format. I feel like free choice secondary. If you want a tournament to be player A at his best versus player B at his best, you need to let them bring the tools. Uh, you can't have like when you introduce RNG, you subtract skill. Plain and simple. It's as simple as it gets. You are now, it's like, would you expect to do as well if, if somebody else, like, like imagine that somebody else had to pick your secondaries for you. Would you do okay? You know? And, but that's essentially kind of what's happening in a lot of packets. And so what I found was, is, is I wanted to get away from hold, 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 and then the problem wasn't solved. And then going back to hold, 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 and testing for Zenith with... Uh, the free choice secondaries and a good list of free choice secondaries where there's stacks and different things. Like I said, like there was, there were people that were actively against stacks for a little bit there. Like TOs would just get bombarded with complaints of like, Oh, this thing's so OP. It can take obliterate and hold, you know, uh, and uh, death from afar and, and you know, all this stuff and, and be getting six points off a single kill. But you know what? And hold it, hold, hold, hold. That's what the elite team needs. They're not holding more a lot of times. So to keep the game tight, they're getting those stacks and then they're working towards a break or something. That's when they get their more. They're maxed on their secondaries. You know, they need the efficiency because you're asking one team to rely on the dice, the elite team. The other team doesn't have to. 
So there needs to be a big payoff for that. If the PAC doesn't have that, it's not viable to go with, with that. And so that's what I keep finding with the different PACs is it completely favors and almost excludes certain archetypes, entire archetypes, multiple factions and builds within factions and things like that. And it keeps coming back to secondaries. So I'm, I'm really excited to be back at Hold, Hold, Hold with Free Choice. I want to play this for a little bit and see how that goes. Yeah. And I mean, you could har- we could harp on it forever. I've thought, too, and like not just the secondaries, but the points, too. Like we're, we're playing at 100 points, and that's restricting. And you play with close right. secondaries, and that's restricting. And once you res- start restricting things and holding teams back, it becomes the, you know, the Eldar show or the Militarum show or the Necron show. And we right. see that time and time again. Um, and we yeah. see only, uh, like, let's say that there's uh, five teams that are possible on this pack. How often is it only just one build? Oh, right? Yeah. Almost always, like, right? <laughs> like, that's the thing. So, so you eliminate the brilliancies of, like, what you were talking about earlier. Uh, you had that Deathmark build in the different sub-faction. Nobody's ever used, but 100 wasn't quite letting you do it. Yeah. I mean, you find that, I mean, once you start really getting into list building at 100 points, you start hitting that wall over and over and over again. And for me, after a while, as somebody that really likes list building and, and I mean, like, it's just, it's one of the, the aspects of my game that I really enjoy. It's, mm-hmm. I got so fed up with 100 points. It was just like over and over again being told, no, no, stop. You can't do this. You're stuck to right. this list. And it's this list that got figured out two years ago. And right. it's like, well, I don't want to do this, right? Yeah. And then you throw the secondaries on top of it, and it's just a layer. Yeah. No, and that's why it's like, from a player perspective, I think I do best. Like, my best performances have been hold, 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 100. Um, but from somebody, you know, I started my, my YouTube channel four months before the game came out. I was so excited on that release. Um, but that's just always going to play a factor. Like, Personally, as a player, I do better at 100, hold, hold, hold. But from a uh, some from the perspective of somebody that deeply cares about the game, uh, we're just going to have to play in other formats sometimes. I like that there's things like Nova that'll bring us back, you know. But we also need to realize uh, that, like I said earlier, you know, certain things are just going to do. They're going to be the specialists at each pack you know ibericon it's like drukari it's blackstone guard it's like my pathy spam you know it, it totally changes it's going to be like admech um uh shooty priests uh you know and and that's cool because that wouldn't have showed up as much in hold 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 and uh so it, it allows when we have these different formats it does allow for the experimenter and the you know the list builder and stuff to come in and, and do good and for somebody that didn't do well in wwo or nova or whatever to uh for their faction to shine again you know yeah, yeah. and that's what we want right we want every team to shine because yes we, it's it gets people get sour especially when the game is not we aren't getting 40k updates right we aren't we aren't getting monthly FAQs, so we need an inclusive format. Otherwise, it's you know it's Drakari, it's Eldar, it's Guard every single tournament, and then you know once in a while it'll be Tau or Neck or um, you know maybe an Orc player will break through. 
and that eventually gets kind of old, right? Yep, because it'll just be the same thing next time. Like if if this was if um, the next tournament was Nova, we would see half the people playing Tau. Um, thankfully, this is this is a change, and um, Tau is going to have to adapt. It's not just take what already did well because that's not even 125 points now. So you have to change at that point and um, start again and start to to refigure the meta, start to suss things out, you know. And uh, it's like a rekindling of the Darwinian thing because Kill Team is very Darwinian. I don't think that GW realized um, what they were what they were causing maybe by the roster aspect of being able to have a sideboard of 20 dudes that, that I take this against this and this against that. Like specialists will form in a meta. It, it, and it'll be tune in next time to see what drone spam team won. Unless that shifts now to allow like, and, and I say this um, also from the perspective that a lot of the packs, like I said, were not inclusive, like hold and kill um, basically completely eliminated hordes. And uh, you know, so that was just out. And, and so hold, hold, hold brought those back. But what did we see that elite struggled on the secondaries? So now we finally, for the first time, have uh, a format that allows the most like agency. You can take a team, you can run that like like Marines, for example. Look at Marines. How, how many different ways are there to build that team? Let's just look at like two. You could go shooty or you could go melee. Is both of those uh, balanced and, and and able to be run? Are they both viable uh, in every pack that we've had? No. If Marines are good, it's only melee Marines or it's only shooting Marines or it's, you know, something like to that effect is kind of what we see. And uh, what we want is somebody to be able to come in and play anything and do well. And secondaries, like I said, it just keeps coming back to that, that you are you're you only need to hold two as you're as an elite team the entire game. And you're you're one away from max. If you can kill that and get on that point for the more you're maxed. And now you have the ability to max your secondaries. So it's like, thank goodness, you know, we finally have a format that is going to be like, quote unquote, interesting. Because a lot of it, it stops getting interesting. You know, if it's, if it's just going to be the same thing over and over again, you know, like, doesn't it get to a point where it's like, uh, if you're not playing Necrons, you're wrong. Or if you're not playing Tau on this pack, you're wrong. And then it's just who's the best Tau player against other Tau? Who's the best Necrons player against other Necron players? Like the packet needs to allow that that versatility to to have it not just be the specialist. I mean, to harken back what you said, it's not even just the players too. It's uh, or the faction rather. It's the build where it's there's one build, and uh, I do think this next tournament is the first time in a while. I like as an orc player, I can look at the faction and be like, wow, there's like two or three maybe ways to play this faction successfully on here. And that's really cool. That's really exciting. I see at least two um, shooting, you know, with, with it being arena is probably not as great, even though it probably could do it, but it's like, dude, you could do evil boys or evil sons, boys spam, or you could do knob spam with death skulls. Right? So now you take this faction and it, it's like one faction at least has two highly viable builds. 
Um, and that's very promising. Like it's not, oh, orcs, this is what they do. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit was um, this. This is kind of a good segue because I, I think we can we can talk about the viability of different things um, with commanders. People are kind of like thinking about commanders and commanders as I mean, there's commanders coming out in Prion Excess, so maybe the game is pushing in that direction. What are your general thoughts on on eventually playing that format? Because I mean, you think about being able to play a lot of things with orcs as the specific example we're going into like 200 points commanders. I mean, you could, you could go so many different directions right off the top of my head, right? Like you could go with the freebooter, you know, shock attack, big mech, you could go knobs with the war boss, you could do whatever. So is, is, is commander something that kind of excites you in that regard too? When I first saw it. I thought that's what kill team was going to be. Uh, I was like, Oh yeah, fine. Cause I was weirded out in the beginning. When, when we finally got the rules for Kill Team, like I said, I had been covering it for a while before it came out. Um, I wanted to play Kill Team in 6th Ed. Nobody would play it. I wanted to play Kill Team in 7th Ed. Nobody would play it. But both of those formats were 200 points. And you had HQs and troops. Um, and, you know, so when, when Kill Team came out and it didn't have HQs, it was only troops and it was only half of the points, I was like, oh, I bet they're going to trickle out some expansion or something and then sure enough that happened um but it just didn't take off and i feel that a lot of that isn't necessarily the game itself it's gw's handling of the game when you go out and you say i sold you a defective product gee what do we expect people to feel you know and it, it divided the it divided the uh, player base quite a bit you know because uh we had this guy over here wanting to play Gellerpox with his commanders at 150 uh, we had uh these guys trying to play commanders at 200 points. And then we had these guys over here that said, wait a minute, I didn't get that good of commanders. You know, your stuff all kills and does amazing things. They didn't see the value of like the strategist spec and psychers and stuff like that. They're like, your stuff is, you get war bosses and everything. And I get a fire blade, Kadra fire blade or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then you got this guy over here is like, I don't even have a commander. <laughs> What's <Right>. going on? <laughs> so it almost killed, um, it almost killed, uh, <laughs> kill team dude um but you know here i was thinking like oh this is the thing and so the people that i could get to play it with me i pumped that hard man i was looking at that really hard um and uh really having a lot of fun with it and a lot of things that you see that just have super hard counters it's kind of like like i was talking about plasma spam Oh no, for your Astartes, you can't play your Astartes. Oh wait, here's some Storm Shields. You're okay now. It's kind of like it did that quite a bit for certain factions. Like uh, Harlequins just get wrecked by Psychic. But then you go and you look at Commanders, they have one of the sickest Psychers in the game. Um, and all of a sudden, it wouldn't be that bad. But it's almost like we missed a step. We, we gave people the Elites buffs and stuff that uh, that would be putting them back on par and, and all that. You know, now it's like the Grey Knight has two Cybolts, so you're even more screwed. Um, you know, and you still don't have that commander that, that I think they intended you to have. So I'm excited for it. I just think that it needs to, needs to be balanced. The efforts that I see, they take their ideas and they bend Kill Team around it and force it to work with how they thought the game was and the way that they do that at the end what they're claiming with balance is that it wasn't balanced it didn't work so we just started adding and deleting things um 
And that is not what I want the game to be. I want it to be like, like I, I hate the idea of somebody going to a tournament and, oh, by the way, your rule book, how you thought it was, how you prepped, what it says, all this stuff, that's not how it is. Um, that just like hurts my soul. It's like, dude, no, there needs to be a place for this. Like I keep going back to that, everything being viable, you know, kind of a thing trying weird stuff like the freedom the agency as a player to come in and be an artist isn't there when they're telling you how to play or you're wrong and and it's just more of the same problems that we've had for a while that now we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it's like i wish people would take something like zenith and try to just port commanders onto zenith as is rules as written and play it like that rather than, you know, some of the other stuff I'm seeing that's, like, generating interest with commanders. Because it is not balanced. End of the day. My own opinion. Uh, the opinions of Bearded 40K are not uh, reflective of command point <laughs> podcast. Command. Yes. The Command Point podcast and its subsidiaries. Right. Yeah, we, <laughs> we will be um, uh, disavowing all of these points in the next episode. So, yes. sit tight, guys. Yes. <laughs> Issuing a public apology. (laughs) I love this storyline. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, we're, we're coming up at about an hour and a half here, Baron. It's, it's been great to have you on once again, congratulations on your tournament victory in the worldwide open. Um, where can, where can people find you? What have you got going on on your Patreon right now? Tell us all about that before you go. Okay. Um, so I have a YouTube channel, just Burenid 40K on YouTube, and uh, I uh, do stuff there sometimes. Um, but then I also have uh, the Patreon and the podcast that, that I do, the Killzone podcast, and that is two episodes a month. It's like clockwork. It You know, you look at the YouTube channel and you see, you're like, what is going on? He hasn't posted in forever, but there's been four episodes of the Killzone podcast. You just haven't seen them. Um, there's one that's free each month to the public, and there's one that you can get by subscribing to the Patreon. Um, we interview players like yourselves. We've had you guys on a couple times, you know, different, you know, sometimes both, sometimes just one of you. Um, but we interview and talk about, like, it, the, the hope is it's real talk for competitive kill team. So, you know, we're, we're talking about how to win, basically, how to be better, how to grow here, what's what's good, what's, you know, how to be cheesy, stuff like that. And uh, so that's the the podcast. And then there's also the coaching. I've, I've started doing coaching, uh, which is something that's also available through the Patreon if you're, people are interested. But uh, I try to help people from where they are. You know, some people just want help with a list. Some people have a tournament coming up in their area and want help. Some people are new to the game. And uh, so I try to help there as well. Yeah. I hear it's probably a good idea to, to if you want a coach, to go to the guy that won the last big tournament so <laughs> thanks man <laughs> thanks again Bearnid, for coming on the podcast thank you everyone for listening especially our patrons over on patreon if you have not already subscribe to the command point youtube channel as it really helps the channel grow and encourages us to keep producing great kill team content we hope to see you all again in the next one